our series, King Jesus, that is the theme of the month. And uh, man, I love celebrating the fact that he did come as, our, as a baby, he did come as our savior, but he also came as our king. And that is worth celebrating for us. And we are rejoicing in that, and we're making that the, the focus of this month. So uh, that being said, I wanna share my text verse with you. I'm, I'm gonna ask you if you would please stand with me as we honor God's word together. And we're gonna read his word together. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can read it on the screen. Behind me, it's out of Matthew 13, and this is at, right after Jesus had shared a parable with uh, a group of people that were standing there, and he told them about the soil. There's five different types of soil, and the seed that's thrown out, the word of God that's thrown out, the, the heart of the person's, the soil of the person's heart determines how they will respond to it. And a lot of the people that were standing there didn't understand what he was saying, because he was speaking in a parable. And after the, all those people left, and he was just there with the disciples, this is the exchange he had with his disciples in verse 10. It says, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. And remember that, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Whoever has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. The title of my message today is Hidden in Plain Sight. Would you pray with me as we prepare our hearts for this time together this morning? Heavenly Father, we love you today. We thank you so much for your word because we know that it is life, it is transforming. And God, we pray as we, as we prepare our hearts for these next few minutes, God, that our hearts would be good soil, that this seed that is thrown out, that it would produce not only today, but for our lives moving forward and the people that are in our lives, God. We pray that you would have your way during this time. We honor you. You are the one that deserves all the glory. We praise you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Praise God. So hidden in plain sight. So the question to start off today, just to get you thinking, is have you ever looked for something you couldn't find something and turns out it was right in front of you the whole time? Ever been looking for your glasses while they were on your head? Or looking for your keys and they were in your pocket or your purse? Um, one of my uh, most disappointing moments of my life was looking for my cell phone while I was talking on it. So, <laughs> I can't even fully explain it. I'm just glad I didn't say to the person I was talking to, man, I can't find my phone. That would've been really bad, but uh, <laughs> that really happened too, I didn't make that up. Um, the point is there's things in everyday life that are hidden, but they're in plain sight. The kingdom of God is the same way. There are aspects of the kingdom of God that are right in front of us yet we miss them all the time, all the time. And that's not to discourage us, that's actually to pique our interest, I would hope, and to make us want to seek out those things that are hidden, because they're not hidden from us, they're actually hidden for us. And I'll get into that more in a minute, but to prove my point, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time and you've read your Bible a good bit, let's say you read your Bible consistently and there's, there's verses you read all the time, right? And you've, you've been reading this specific chapter in the Bible and you've read it 49 times, today's the 50th time you've read it, and you read it this time, and it just jumped off the page. And it was like, it changed your life. I mean, it changed the perspective you had. It, it did something, it transformed your heart. It did something in your life. And you asked yourself, why have I never seen this before? Well, you have, you've read it 49 times. The 50th time, something just happened. It was hidden in plain sight the whole time. You've seen it. There are aspects of the kingdom of God that are hidden, that are sitting right there in plain sight. And that's actually encouraging for us because it tells me that sometimes the fact that I don't know it or don't see it or can't fully understand it doesn't mean it isn't true. And sometimes God 
gives us the revelation as we get a little further down the road. You know, sanctification is being set apart for him. It's, it's the growth of our relationship with him. And sanctification is a process in our life. It doesn't happen instantaneously for the most part. It's something that we learn as we go along, and it's not necessarily because new information has been, uh, we've been exposed to new information, but that we've just received it differently in that moment. The secrets of the knowledge of the kingdom of God were and still are hidden by God sometimes. Now, I know that seems to fly in the face of some of our theology. We wanna think that, you know, man, everything of God's is just right there for us. We just, you know, you just need to take it and receive it and claim it and, be, and believe it, and, and it's there, and you just have it. Right? And, and that's what we want to believe, but that's really not the truth of the scriptures. Obviously, the verse that I just read shows us that there are things that are secrets. And it's not just hidden from those that don't believe in Jesus. It also applies to us as Christians that we have to seek out in our own life. I know we don't like the term exclusive, but there is some things about the, the kingdom of God that are exclusive. They're for believers and not for unbelievers. And, and we don't like that term you know, I don't like the idea that there's a neighborhood that's exclusive, you know, a gated community. I don't like that. Those people in there, I don't like that they have that for those people unless I live in it. Then I like it because it's kind of cool to be in there, right? And if you're part of the kingdom of God, you're actually part of an exclusive group. Not exclusive in the sense that other people are, can't receive it or can't be part of it, but exclusive in the fact that it's going to be the smaller group. Jesus said in Matthew 7 very clearly that the road that leads to destruction is wide and many people find it. The road that leads to life is narrow and few find it. That's actually what it says. It says few find it. So if we find it, if we have to find it, that means that we have to seek it. You know, the, the, uh, your faith is all about seeking. We have to seek God. Your seeking God doesn't stop the day you get saved. It just starts that day. We are called to seek. In fact, it's all through the Bible. It's all over the place in the Bible. Jeremiah, he says that you will find him when you seek him with all your heart. David said, my, my soul longs for you. I'm seeking for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And then Jesus said it many times. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. Seek and knock, and the door will be open for you. And in the, the Sermon on the Mount, he says uh, that blessed are those who hunger and thirst. In other words, blessed are those who seek righteousness, for they will be filled. That's beautiful, but it tells me that we have to seek. If we have to seek, that means there's things that are hidden that we may not understand or have fully seen yet. And so we can't get comfortable and just think, well, you know, I, you know I've read through this once for the most part, you know, and, and I think I got it pretty much figured out. The life of faith is a constant life of seeking. And it takes time to see some of the aspects of the kingdom of God to come to fruition in your life. And that has to be okay with us, but we have to keep seeking. I can tell you the measure that we are eager for the kingdom of God is the measure that we will get. The measure that you are eager for the kingdom of God is the measure that you will get. The problem where we get tripped up is say, okay, I'm eager for the kingdom of God, let me have it, God, and it doesn't happen in five minutes and then we're moving on to the next thing. It's about continually seeking out the kingdom of God. In fact. My text verse, in verse 12 of my text, I'm gonna have to put just verse 12 back up. It says, whoever has will be giving more and he will have in an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. So what we have, this is not Jesus saying, hey, if somebody doesn't have a lot of faith or doesn't have a lot of the kingdom of God, I'm just gonna take it from them and give it to somebody else. What he's talking about here is seeking. He's saying if you don't have much and you don't seek, 
what you have is even gonna go away. Your faith is either growing or it's declining. You can't stay stagnant in your faith long. If, you're, if you've been stagnant in your faith for years, chances are you have very, very little faith left in your heart and in your mind and even in your spirit. You're probably cold spiritually. But he says what you have, it, and if you have much, if you're seeking much, you'll even be given more. So that tells me it's not just a snap your fingers and it happens immediately. It is about a continual lifestyle and process of living out this active faith in our life. Our faith is meant to be active. It is meant to be active. And it needs to be because the enemy of your soul is active. He is actively working against you. So we have to actively work against him and grow our faith. We know that this is the thing. So let's say you have two siblings that grow up in the exact same house, okay? And there's all kinds of issues in the house. There was maybe even abuse or an absent father or something where there was something that had happened. There was some trauma and there was just some tough situations. You could take those two siblings and one can go this way and completely live for Jesus and serve God and still obviously has issues and things, but they're, they're loving God and they're pursuing Jesus in their life. The other one can go completely the opposite direction and completely embrace the way of the world and coping the way the world copes with things. You've probably seen that in somewhere in your family, maybe even in Europe, maybe you're one of those. You see it all over the place. I could name multiple families in my family that I know have dealt with that, where one person responded by seeking God and going further, the other person responded by saying, forget it and giving up because of what happened in their life. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Those who don't have much, what they have is gonna be taken away. And those who have a lot, they're gonna get more because they're gonna continue to seek. It's all about seeking. That's why he hides some of the treasures. It's because he wants us to seek after those treasures. In fact, in Matthew 13, just a little later in my, from where my text verse is, a little further down the chapter, in verse 14, look what Jesus said here. He said, the kingdom of heaven, we're talking about kingship. He is the king and this is his kingdom. Anytime he says the kingdom of heaven is like, you need to pay attention because he's giving you a glimpse into what it is actually like. It's like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like, here's another one. A merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. You see how he's showing us here that there's things about the kingdom that are hidden, that we actually have to go and find them. We actually have to be diligent to go get them. He wants us to seek to understand the value of the kingdom of God. Oh, that we would get to the place where that, that first one where it says the guy found a treasure hidden in a field and he, he couldn't legally take it. He had to buy the land to actually be able to keep that treasure. So he put it back, he went and sold everything he had with joy and went and bought that field because he knew he'd get that treasure. That's what Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is like. That it would be in our hearts that if we lost everything we had to be part of the kingdom of God, it would still be worth it. If I had to give up everything I am and everything I have to be part of God's kingdom, it's worth it and I could do it with joy. Now, thankfully, God doesn't make us do that. He's a good father, he gives good gifts. He, we don't really, especially in the US in 2022, we don't have to give up a whole lot to be a follower of Jesus, right? You still could have a lot of blessings, but, but Jesus is saying here, if it came to that though, and you had to give it all up, you could still do it with joy if you understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. I wanna understand those secrets. I want to understand, I want more understanding all the time. I don't ever wanna get complacent or think I've figured it out or think I know enough that I can get by now and I'm good to go. 
I want to always be hungry and eager to grow in my faith and grow in my understanding of the secrets of the kingdom of God. That should be our heart. We see even with the story of the prodigal son. I, I shared this probably about a year ago. I felt like the, you know, the Lord just revealed it to me. It was one of those days where I was reading the story and I'd read it a hundred times. And when I read it this last time, I just went, wow, I never saw that. When you look at the story of the prodigal son, and if you don't know it, I would encourage you to go, go read it. Uh, it's an incredible story about the kingdom of God and how God works. And the son left and took his inheritance and squandered it all. And he eventually realized he could go back to his father's home and at least be a servant in his dad's home. So he goes back. He's a long way off. The dad sees him and runs to meet him, right? An incredible story of redemption. But what so many people miss out of that story of the prodigal son is that God did not chase the son, right? I mean, what kind of dad would do that? If my son took everything that I could give him and he just left at a young age and I knew he was gonna squander everything, I would chase him down and beg him, son, come back. Please, you know, see reason here. Let's, let's come back. We could talk this through. The perfect father, the heavenly father, did not do that. He did not chase the son down. Why not? Did he not care about him? Did he say, well, write him off. I got another one. It's fine. Of course not. He waited because he wanted the son to seek him. That's what he wanted. He wanted him to seek him. And as soon as it was evident that he was seeking him because he was coming back, as soon as the father saw him a long way off, took off and ran him as fast as he could run, which was, by the way, would have been a disgrace for a dad in that age to run in his sandals and in his robe. He didn't care. That's the love he has for us, but we have to seek him. And it's not just for salvation, it's for every aspect of our life, church. You want more wisdom? Seek him. You want more peace in your life? Seek him. You want the fruit of the spirit in your life? Seek him. That's where it comes from, from seeking our heavenly father. So here's what I wanna do today. In light of talking about the fact that parts of the kingdom of God are hidden, I want to expand a little bit from last week for the rest of my time today, okay? We did this, this message last week on counterfeit kingdoms, and uh, the response that we heard from that was pretty intense. I, I could tell it absolutely must have hit a nerve for many of us where I showed a chart of uh, source idols, counterfeit kingdoms. That uh, This kind of originated from Martin Luther, the great reformer back in the day, and then uh, Tim Keller and some others kind of tweaked it and made it um, kind of what it is now, and then I tweaked it a little more and made it more relevant for us at New Hope today. And um, it basically comes down to this premise that there's really, when, it, when God said, have no other gods before me, Really, there's only four main gods that we could serve other than our God that can be idols in our life. Everything else that's a struggle or a sin in our life would fall under one of these four. And we categorized it last week. I put up a chart. I'll show this in a second. Put up a chart and to see what the struggle is, the challenge is for us. It kind of identifies what, how that looks in our life. And um, uh, I saw many of you elbowing your significant other during it saying, that's you. Um, so I know you guys were listening. <laughs> Uh, but I had to go through it quick, and I wanted to, I want to look at it in light of the secrets of the kingdom today, because I think it'll be helpful for you too, um, and it'll give us a chance to go back through this just for a second. So go ahead and put that chart up so everybody can see it. This is the chart we used last week. When you look at the, that left column, the counterfeit kingdoms, it's comfort, approval, control, and power. Those are the four small G gods that we can serve in our life that can take the place of God in our life if we are not careful. We're all prone to one of those or two, or three, uh, a couple people told me I have all four of them, <laughs> I'll pray for you. Uh, but, um, and, and these things in and of themselves are not bad to, to want you know, a little bit of comfort and approval and control and power in your life, it's when it takes the place of God is when it becomes an issue and it becomes an idol in our life. 
so we're gonna go through these uh, one at a time. I, I will say th the secret of the kingdom of God that helps us to defeat these gods in our life, it's not easy. This is not a quick fix, okay? Some of you are gonna tune me out once you hear what the secrets are because you're gonna say to yourself, That's, I can't do that. I don't, I'm not ready for that. But I would challenge you today, don't tune me out. Let the Lord speak to your heart in regards to all of these because he wants to do the work in us. All right, the first one was comfort. Just very briefly, if comfort is the God that you struggle with, uh, your God is about pleasure. You, you live for comfort, you live for pleasure, you live for peace in your life. None of those three things are bad unless it becomes paramount and peak in your life. Um, and you know that because uh, you run from stress in such a way to make sure there's no stress in your life because it disturbs your comfort. You do it so much so that some people would even say you're lazy because you're willing to leave things undone if they steal your comfort. Uh, people in your life feel neglected because if, if anything in relationship would steal that comfort, you're gonna neglect them because that's what matters to you most, okay? And so the secret, the mystery, the hidden secret that's in plain sight from the kingdom of God that, that counteracts this is very simply, take up your cross. Now, I know most of you probably heard that term before. It's, basically, it's, it's actually in Matthew 16. I want you to stay with me though because it's not necessarily what you think it is sometimes. We have this conception of what we think taking up your cross means, but I wanna, I wanna expand on it a little bit this morning. So Matthew 16 is where Jesus said, he said, it says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. This is a principle of the kingdom of God that's hidden in plain sight. And I say hidden because many of us don't really want to understand what it means. We know we can hear, we've heard the word take up your cross. It's in worship songs. You probably sung it. You can do, you can recite it a little bit. You know enough to know Jesus is the one that said it. But when it comes to really understanding what that is and what that looks like in your life, many of us just kind of keep it at arm's length because we think, well, take up my cross, that's death. Lose my life, I don't wanna lose my life. You know, we get this idea that if I really abide by this, that I'm gonna have to be a missionary in a foreign country for the rest of my life and I'm gonna have to reuse tea bags and or I'm gonna have to be in a live in a monastery or you know, it's just gonna be horrible because if I give my life to Jesus fully, that's what he's gonna do because that's who he is, right? And it's absolutely not who Jesus is. Jesus didn't say this because he's being petty. He said this because this is actually where real joy is found. I'll say that again. He said this because this is where joy is found. If anybody of you, if I asked you, if you raised your hand and, and I said, who in here could use more joy in their life, I bet almost all of our hands would go up. Joy is something that's, that eludes us many times in our culture, doesn't it? Because of stress, because of things that are going on. That's why we seek comfort. Comfort will bring happiness in your life, temporary happiness. But we're not here about, about we're not worried about happiness. Happiness is an emotion. And happiness is an emotion that can change like that. And I mean literally like that, it can change. You could be high as a kite one minute, not that kind of high, I mean happy high. <laughs> and then all of a sudden be down in the dumps because happiness is an emotion that changes because we're emotional humans. I'm not worried about happiness, I'm talking about joy. There is a joy that is real, that is sustainable, that is acquireable, no matter what is going on, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the situation is in our life, there is a joy that is available to you. And if I said, hey, does anybody here want that joy that you can have even when things aren't going well? Our hands would shoot up so fast we wouldn't know what to do, right? This is how you do it. Take up your cross, follow him. 
lay down your life for him. Whoever saves, whoever keeps his life will lose it. Whoever gives his life up will save it. That is how you get the joy that is completely overflowing, unshakable, and not dependent on circumstances. You see, it's easy to think that if we're part of this kingdom, that the kingdom of God, he, he owns everything. You know, he's above all, he's higher than all, he's sovereign, he's great, he loves me, he's my father. I should have everything that I would want on this earth, right? And some of you were taught that even as a, a younger person in your, in your church. Maybe you were raised hearing that, like, hey, God's gonna do it. Like, you just need, he's gonna do it. Whatever you need, like, he, he's, he doesn't like the fact that you're, that you're suffering or you're going through something, you're having to go without. He's gonna do it and you just need to believe and, and hang on to it. There's nothing wrong with believing and hanging on to the fact that God can do those things in our life. But that cannot be the God. That cannot be the source of our joy is thinking that he's going to take care of my situation. That cannot be the source of your joy. The joy doesn't come from thinking, knowing and believing that he's gonna care for your situation. The joy comes from knowing that he is in your situation. That's where the joy comes that's gonna sustain you because we all know that he doesn't always take care of every situation the way we want him to take care of it. And it is naive to say, oh, you just, just believe. If you, oh, just believe it. And you get around people like that and you don't even feel like you can say anything other than, yep, it's gonna go that way. That's the way it's gonna go. Yes, I believe wholeheartedly. Even when you know in your spirit, mm, I don't know that that's how it's actually gonna happen. But we stand on that because we think, well, I'm part of the kingdom of God. He's got everything. Here's some truth today, church. Jesus did not die to end all suffering on this earth. He did not die to end all suffering on this earth. Take a look around you. Is anybody in your life suffering? Are you suffering right now? I, I, just in my circle of people that I know and that I'm close to and that I have a relationship with, there are so many people that I know that are experiencing loss, that are experiencing major health situations, experiencing marital issues, so many, so much so that I have to keep a list right now because I can't remember all of them. That's just in my circle. So if, if Jesus came to end all suffering on this earth, he failed miserably. And how many of you know Jesus did not fail? He did not fail one bit. He succeeded completely. He said when he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. He did it, period. It's over. But he did not come to end all the suffering on this earth. He came to make sure that the suffering on this earth wasn't the end. This world is not the end, church. I, I, if that's no consolation to you, then you really don't understand the fact that there is an eternity and that we're on that narrow road and that is the most important thing in the, on the planet, way more than being comfortable today. Now, does he bring comfort in our life? You better believe it, he does. But it cannot be our God. It cannot be our God. I love what Paul said in Romans 8. Look what he said in verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. That is a beautiful verse, but if I'm honest, that is a very tough verse to get from here to here. For me to say, yeah, you know, I'm suffering like crazy right now, but it's not worth comparing to the glory that's gonna be revealed, that's wonderful. I can, I can quote it, but do I really believe it? How did Paul get there? You know how he got there? One, from a lot of suffering. But also, in 2 Corinthians, he says, he talks about this experience he had where he went to the third heaven, okay? He literally said he went to the third heaven. Now, it, he didn't even know. He said, I can't say if I did an out-of-body experience, if I actually went, or if it was a vision I had. He couldn't tell for sure. But he was in the third heaven. If you don't know about the heavens, the third heaven is the place where God dwells, okay? They use the term heaven. The way it translates is kind of weird. The first heaven is really just the sky, the blue sky. The second heaven is outer space. The third heaven is where God dwells. 
So Paul saw heaven. That's why he's able to come back and go, hey guys, don't worry about it. <laughs> the suffering we're going through here, let me tell you something, it's nothing. It's so gonna be worth it when we finally get there. That's why he said, for me to live is Christ, to die is actually gain. He actually believed it, not because he had a tough day, but because he actually knew it. He said, you know what, I actually wanna go be with Jesus, but it's better for you guys if I stay here. That's a guy that saw it. So let's, let's we don't get to see that third heaven. I have never seen it, Most, probably none of you have either, but it's there, it's real, and it's really, really great. And Paul says, that needs to be our focus to understand that, you know what, there may be some suffering here, but it's not gonna steal my joy because I know at the end of the day, it's gonna be so great when we get to be with him. That's where the joy comes. That's why you can lay down your life. That's why you can take up your cross. That's why you can bear your cross. When things don't go the way you want them to go, that's why you can still say, yes, I have the joy of the Lord in my life. I have the joy because my joy is not dependent on whether or not this suffering ends, even though I do want it to end. And it's great to pray for that, and we will pray for that all day, all the time, for sicknesses to, to go away, for marriages to be healed, for, for God to comfort us in loss. We want that, and God does those things, but it cannot be our God, the, the, uh, the, the, the solution to our situations. All right, the second one is approval. The second God that we can struggle with serving in our life, it's the God of wanting to be accepted. You live for being accepted, Rejection is the biggest fear you have in life. Uh, you smother people close to you because you're so determined to win their approval and they feel like you're just a little extra and a little much. If this is a God in your life, this is a challenge. The secret hidden in plain sight that counters this is that people will hate you because of Jesus. <laughs> it doesn't sound like a great solution. And it doesn't even sound like it goes with what, that, with what approval is, but stay with me because I believe it does. You know, many of us came to faith thinking or believing or hoping that people would like us more by being a follower of Jesus, right? But you find out pretty quickly that that doesn't really do that. In fact, a lot of people don't like us because we are following Jesus. And they will reject us just because of our faith, if they know our faith, right? In fact, Jesus said in John 15, verse 19, look what he said. He said, if you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. He says, you do not belong to the world. If you, if you did, the world would love you, but because you belong to Jesus, he has chosen you and brought you out of the world. Because of that, people will hate you. Now listen, I, I know there's a challenge. There's, we deal with this whole approval thing. I think everybody does on some level. Whether or not it's a God in your life is another thing, but I know for me it was. I was mentioned this last week, till I was about 30, I lived for people's approval. That's what I wanted. I, you know, it's kind of the middle child syndrome too, wanting everybody to like you and wanting to you know, perform for people so that uh, you can win their affection because uh, for whatever reason, the, the child birth order sometimes has an effect on that, not always, but it did for me. And uh, I lived to make everybody happy around me. And I found my identity in that. And it wasn't until I was about 30 that I realized that I didn't have to do that anymore. And you know what, it wasn't because all of a sudden at 30, I had this great revelation of, oh, this is how I'm going to win everyone's approval. I didn't come up with some great strategy to win approval. I didn't come up with an idea of how I can manipulate people. What I did was I found out that my identity is not in that, but my identity is actually in Jesus. That my identity is because of the fact that he chose me out of the world. That's my identity, and that has to matter to us. That's the secret, church. 
is that knowing that he chose you, and I don't know some of us think, oh, I chose Jesus. Actually, he chose you. He chose you, he appointed you to go and bear much fruit. He chose you. So if you're on that narrow road, you know that means you're in the minority. So if you're on that narrow road, that means he chose you. That means you're pretty special. That means he loved you enough to die for you. Now I know he died for the world, the Bible's clear. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. But the reality is, not everybody's going. The reality is the road that's going to life is narrow. And if you're on that road, he chose you. And that is beautiful. And that has to matter to us. It can't be something that it's just like, well, yeah, you know, I've been a Christian a long time. It doesn't even get me stirred up anymore when I think about the fact that Jesus chose me, he loves me, and I'm going to heaven. That, there's your problem. We need to get back to that. We need to constantly be reminded of how amazing it is that he didn't reject us, but that he chose us. And I know some of you could easily look at me and think, oh, that's easy for you to say. You know, you probably, people like you, you're a pastor. <laughs> Let me tell you something. You know how many people left this church when I took over? Lots. And I don't say that for any other reason other than I, I get rejected too, all the time. Believe me. It, none of us are immune to rejection, okay? Well, the reason it doesn't bother me that when, when something like that happens is because I know that my identity is not in that. My identity is not in how many people accept me or even how big my church is, not even my church, this church that I get to pastor. It doesn't, my, my identity doesn't come with any of that. My identity is in the fact that I know Jesus personally, intimately, and I know that he loves me, and I am found in him. I know he chose me, and he blesses me, and I'm his. And that's got to be enough for us, church. It's got to be enough. Praise God. I am beyond thankful that my worth does not rest on how many people accept me. I am beyond thankful. I can't even fully put it into words how blessed, that, how blessed I feel. And that is a hidden treasure. And I would encourage you today to seek it. Seek that treasure out. All right, the third one is control. If control is your thing. Your God is certainty. You fear uncertainty. You worry all the time because you don't think you have enough control. And people around you feel condemned by you because of your high standards, because you've set such high standards in life to make sure that you have as much certainty in life as possible. And this is a big challenge for us. This is a, this is a big one. This is, this is the one for me. If I'm gonna struggle more than any of the others, this is the one that's going to get me, because I like to bring as much certainty in my life as possible. I'm not controlling, this isn't about the control freak that like wants to control everybody in their life. Because I, I don't try to control people in my life at all. I just try to control my own life. Control myself, make sure I have as much certainty as possible. And the secret that's hidden in plain sight about the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God must be received like a child. Mark 10, verse 13, Jesus said, or it says, people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. This is a secret. It's a hidden secret that we miss every day. It doesn't even make sense in our brains that I can, I can receive the kingdom of God like a little child. Now, I don't say that we can be childish, Make sure you catch that. Because we're, we're to grow in maturity and wisdom, but we still approach the kingdom of God as a child in the, in the aspect of that we have full trust and full faith in our God. 
You know, when you, if you can think back to when you were a little child, do you know you had the, you worried the least that you will ever worry when you're a little child and you had the least control you've ever had in your life? That's not, that's not, that's ironic. The more control we think we have, the more we worry and the more control we want in our life. But little children don't have anything to worry about. Why? Because they have full faith in their parents. I mean, man, my, I remember my kids, when they were little especially, they'd bring stuff to me, a toy they broke, and they were like, dad's gonna fix it. And it's in 16 pieces, you know? I'm like, mm, I don't know. Maybe you shouldn't have that much faith. But that's how kids are. That's how we are as kids. We have full trust in our parents because we just know, hey, they're gonna take care of it, right? But as we get older, you know what happens? Experience and knowledge start to steal that childlike faith in our life. The more knowledge we get, the more experience we get, the more we've lived. Have you ever heard yourself saying like, yeah, but I, I've been around the block, I know what's gonna happen here. So I need to worry, because worrying keeps me sharp. I've said that many, many times. I need to be, you know, I don't use the term worry, because that, that's a negative term, but I'll, I'll use some terminology so it sounds like I'm being you know, noble, but basically what I'm doing is I'm choosing to worry because it's gonna keep me sharp and help me to make sure that situation turns out the way I want it to turn out. You think about the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, and they were adults, but they had a childlike faith. I mean, they were running around with no clothes on. I, I don't know about you guys, but our kids ran around all the time butt naked. We'd have to tell them, like, put clothes on. This one, they were little. <laughs> but you know, you see them, you're like, ah, put on some clothes. But they just, they have no shame, they have no worries, they have, they just, it's not a big deal. Adam and Eve were doing that exact same thing. What caused them to have to cover themselves? They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They got more knowledge in their head, now I have to control. Now I have understanding, so now I have to control the situation. That's exactly what it does in our life. And Jesus says, you don't have to control, you can trust me. In fact, you have to trust me, you have to approach the kingdom of God like a child or you can't enter it. And can I tell you today, church, that's not a rebuke Jesus is doing. He's not saying like, hey, be like a child or else you're not gonna be part of my kingdom. What he's doing is he's setting us free. He's saying, listen, you don't have to figure it out. You can actually approach it like you would your dad when you were five years old. That's how you can approach it. And just trusting that I am above all, I am greater than everything out there, and I am a good father that loves you and is gonna take care of your situation for my purposes and for my will, and you can trust me just like a child would. You don't have to worry, you don't have to control, you don't have to try to make everything certain in your life, you can trust him. And it's a beautiful, freeing thing. But I know for us, you know, a child is totally dependent, I like to be independent. A child is totally trusting, I like to make you earn trust in my life. It's just how we're wired. So being childlike is a, is a secret that we miss out on because we just don't give it the attention it deserves in our life. Because we just don't see it. No one wants to be called childish or want to, we want to even in our faith look like we have it all together. When the reality is God wants us to trust him like a kid. All right, and fourth and finally, Power, if the, if, the, if the idol of power is a God in your life, your God is influence, it's winning, it's, it's doing whatever you gotta do to make sure you win in every situation in your life. At work, at home, relationships, in church, in your faith, you wanna make more money than your friends, it's all about winning and making sure that you are on top. Your biggest fear is humiliation, there's nothing that scares you more in life than the thought of being humiliated in front of your friends and, be, and be looking weak and losing in any kind of situation. 
Uh, the, the emotion you struggle with is anger. Not necessarily that you're just blowing your top all the time, but there's a underseed of anger in your life that you can repress, but it's still there. And people close to you feel like they're being used because everybody's just a pawn in your life to help you to win. And the secret that's hidden in plain sight to defeat this God in our life is that you get influenced by serving others. Influenced by serving others. If you wanna win God's way, it's about serving others. Again, a secret hidden in plain sight to really win in life, because the drive to wanna win is not a bad thing. It's how we wanna win and what we wanna win at. If you wanna win according to the kingdom of God, it's about serving others. Jesus said it very clearly, Matthew 20, 26. He says, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants, wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I love when Jesus gives us a command and then he basically says like, by the way, I'm doing that same thing and I'm God, so if I'm doing it, you can do it. He says greatness is found in serving. Can I tell you, if power is your God that you struggle with, if this is the one where you say, oh my goodness, that is so me, I mean, I, I just wanna win at everything. I feel like I have to prove myself. I've had to scratch and claw to get to where I am in life. Nothing comes easy. I just live proving myself all the time and I want everybody around me to see how much I can win. If that's you, I know that the idea of being great by serving does not seem true to you. You see serving as weakness. You, you might serve, it doesn't mean you never serve, but you're gonna do it on your terms. And when you do it, everybody around you is gonna know that you did it and you did it by, your, by the grace of God that's in you, being willing to stoop down to somebody else's level, or I'm gonna give you a little bit of my time, or I might give you a little bit of my money or something. The idea that serving is where greatness comes and living a life of serving does not seem true to you. That's, that's why it's a secret. If this, is, if this is an issue you have in life, this is a complete secret that's hidden right in plain sight. Because Jesus said it very clearly, greatness is found in serving. If you wanna be great, he said, I don't mind you being great, He's not selling that, don't even try to be great. That's not what Jesus wants. No, he wants you to be great, but greatness is found by serving. That's where the greatness comes in our life. And we need to think about that. We need to meditate on that. I love what, what happened in Mark 12. This is the, I'll read this, this will be my last verse. But in Mark 12, a teacher, comes, a teacher of the law comes up to Jesus and he says, hey Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Look how this teacher responded in verse 32. It says, it says, God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. That's what the teacher said. So he was agreeing with Jesus. And it says, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. So here we go. We're finding more about the kingdom of God. He's saying, you wanna be part of the kingdom of God, this is what you need to understand. It's about loving God first and loving your neighbor. How do you love your neighbor? It's by serving. We're serving others. We're living our life to serve others. This teacher said it's more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now we don't do burnt offerings and sacrifices anymore. Thank God. We couldn't have carpet here in the front if we had to do burnt offerings. <laughs> we don't do those. So what's the modern equivalent of that? Doing burnt offerings and sacrifices in life. It's, I mean, the reason they did that, they came to bring their offering to God. It was them showing that they were, 
that they loved God, that they were gonna give themselves to God, they were given offerings, and they would always do it, they would do it very publicly. They wanted people to see it. When, when men would go into the temple to leave their offering, they would make a big display of it, and they'd drop their offering in, and I'm told there's even the box that they put their offering in would have like these uh, bells and chains or, or something in there that the coins actually would rattle down through and make a lot of noise. So the more coins you put in, the more noise it made. And it was like showing everybody like, look at me, look how I'm winning, because I'm able to give so much money in the temple to help further the cause of God. And he's saying, loving your neighbor is more important than all that. And Jesus says, you're really close to the kingdom of God because that's what it's about. It's not about winning in all of our circumstances and, and, and winning in the world's way of winning and just not even trying to sneak it into the church. Like I said last week, we'll, we'll wanna win in our faith too where we wanna look more spiritual, we wanna look more moral, we set more, higher moral standards and we know how to say all the Christianese and we know exactly how to sing and we know when we should lift our hands and when it's not good to lift your hands because that's not an appropriate port, part of it. And we know how to pray loud and we know all the things and we wanna win even in that. And, and Jesus is telling him he's close to the kingdom of God because he saw that more than any of that, it's about loving your neighbor. It's about serving others. And this is a challenge in our society today because we're so busy. Who's got margin? Anybody here got like, Eight hours a day, you don't know what to do with it? <laughs> Anybody got eight minutes a day, you don't know what to do with it? I mean, that's where we're at. And so living, living in such a way that we're actually loving our neighbor as ourselves is tough, and it's becoming a secret even in the kingdom because we're so challenged in our life to do that and to have time and to be intentional to do that in our life. It is so much easier to serve God than it is to serve others. It's easier to do things for God than it is to do things for others because we, because we can be wired in that way. We can, uh, we've determined or we've decided in our own mind, in our heart, that that's the way it should be. When God says, man, if you just give somebody a cup of cold water in my name, you're not gonna lose your reward. That's the heart of God for each and every one of us. So those are the four, the four source idols and the secrets of the kingdom of God that I believe help us to counteract those. And I would encourage you today to, to meditate on this and talk about it. The, the, the thing about a, a sermon is that it's, it's, it's good to sit here and hear me talk for a little bit, but if you don't have conversations about it, it'll be gone by the middle of the week. Many of you had conversations about this one from last week because it struck a nerve and it's probably been resonating with you. So it's important that we keep, we talk about this with people in our life that we can compare notes and say like, well, what's your challenge? What's your challenge? And just being honest with each other because this is where the Lord can actually do his work in our heart too. So I wanna encourage you in that today. And if you'll stand with me, please, I'm gonna pray for us. I thank God for all of you. I'm, I thank you that I believe that your heart is to know him and to serve him and to seek him in such a way that the treasures of the kingdom of God will be found by you. Because he wants you to find him. I can promise you that. So let me pray for you. Father God, we thank you today. We thank you that your word is true. Your word is life. Thank you for breathing life into our bodies, God. Lord, I thank you today that serving you is so wonderful. And God, we don't wanna have any other gods before you. But Lord, when we do put gods before you, would you convict us quickly? Lord, I thank you today that you're, you're not about shaming us. I, we spend so much energy trying to hide our shame. And I know your word tells us and your heart for us is that we would just come and give it to you. And you'll take it. You'll separate our sin from as, as far as the east is from the west. So Lord, help us to be transparent. If we're not transparent with anybody else, 
Help us to be transparent with you. Give us the courage to be honest with where we are, Lord, because we do want to grow. We don't want a stagnant faith. We want our faith to be growing. And Lord, today, we purpose in our hearts collectively today We give ourselves to you today, Lord. And we purpose that we will seek you. Lord, we will not rest on where we are. We will not just become complacent, but we will seek out those hidden treasures. It's actually encouraging to me to know that there's things out there that are hidden that I can find, and that you want me to find. It gives me the, the energy, a renewed energy to go after it. It's not by works. We know that the gift of God is the grace that comes into our life because of what Jesus did for us. This is not about works, but Lord, there's no doubt that there is, a, there is a, an objective, there is a, a mark on us to seek after you and the things of God. So help us to do that today. We want to be close to the kingdom of God. We want it to permeate every area of our life. Lord, I pray for everybody here today that you would help us to live for you in a way that honors you and is a blessing I pray for anybody in this room today or under the sound of my voice that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior. They wouldn't say that they were a follower of Jesus. God, I pray that you would touch their heart today. I believe you are. And I pray that they would respond to it. If that is you today, I just encourage you to respond to the Lord, to give him your life today. Jesus did say that we have to take up our cross, lay down our life, follow him. That just means saying, God, my life is not my own. You can have it trusting him to forgive you of your sins, repenting of your sins and knowing that he forgives each and every sin that we've ever committed and separates them as far as east is from the west. You, your name can be written in the Lamb's Book of Life today just by making that commitment to him. So God, help us today. Help us, Lord, to live for you, to love you. You are worthy of it all, Jesus. We love you and we honor you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Praise God. God bless you.